I want to ask you just to go ahead and open in your Bibles to the book of 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Uh, we'll be in that text. 1 Samuel chapter 17 will be our main text for this morning. You guys remember that hymn I sang uh, a few weeks ago, One More Time? One more time. Yeah. One more time, one more time, he has allowed us to be together. One more, singing one more time, one more, singing one more time, one more time, he has allowed us to be together one more to love each other one more to love each other one more time he has allowed us to love each other one more to sing together one more to sing together one more time he has allowed us to sing together one more to pray together one more to pray together one more time he has allowed us to pray together one more to preach the gospel one more to preach the gospel one more time he has allowed us to preach the gospel one more to love each other one more we gotta love each other one more time he has allowed us to love each other one more to be together one more to be together one more time he has allowed us to be together one more singing one more time one more to be together one more time he has allowed us to be together one more time. By way of review, let me, let me do this quickly. I'm already sweating. You know, that's why I work with my, my face, right? Because I, I sweat when I get moving and, and, and the singing just about had my heart, my heart rate up. So I'm, I'm ready to go. Um, but by way of review, you know, last week we began our, our series, uh, we'll be looking at a series I'm, I'm, I'm entitling, What's in Your Hand? And the entire purpose of the series is for us to be able to take stock, look at some specific events in the lives of some of these uh, men and women of God. Uh, and of course, this month we'll be dealing with uh, some Old Testament characters. Last week we looked at Moses. Uh, today we'll be looking at David. And next week, uh, just to give you a, a quick review, we'll be looking at uh, Samson out of Judges chapter number 15. So if, if you don't mind, I want to ask you to read Judges chapters 13 all the way through to chapter 15 for next week, Lord's willing. That's, that's homework. But by way of review, on last week, we, we looked specifically at that moment in Moses' life. Uh, and really the birth of his ministry, if we were to think of it that way, where, where God calls him through... 
this burning bush event. And, and God reveals to Moses pretty early on in that conversation uh, who he was. Uh, before God even says who he was, God says to Moses, I am divine, so, so take the sandals off of your feet because the place that you are about to tread on is holy ground. And, and so Moses got a glimpse into who he was encountering the moment the being said, this is holy ground. Not only did Moses get a glimpse into who he was encountering via this holy God, but God also said, I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of Jacob. In other words, the same God that your, your mother spoke to you about. I am that God. The same God that, 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 that Abraham would have encountered. I am that God. And I have come to be a deliverer unto my people. God, in his interaction with Moses, called Moses. He communicated with Moses. And then ultimately, last week, we saw that God commissioned Moses. And in so doing, we recognize that Moses would have shared a lot of his apprehensions with God, but God would go on to, to confirm his power and the commission that Moses would have indeed been given. And so throughout the, the, the lesson, I, I hope I would have made it clear to show that God would have, in so doing, uh, allowed Moses to use something that was simple, something that may have been deemed trivial, something that may have been minuscule in this thing called a rod or a staff. And God would use that rod as a tool and as a symbol of his deliverance and his power. All Moses would have had to do was to submit himself, sub, subject himself to God's will and to God's purpose. All he had to do was trust and obey, and God would have been the one to grant victory and favor in every single situation and circumstance that Moses would have encountered. I could preach right there because we sing a song, trust and obey for there's no other way. We need to learn what it means to trust and obey. And when we trust and obey and use the tools that God has placed within our lives, God says, I will grant you victory and I will grant you favor. So what is in your hand? The rod on last week represented this idea of all the resources that God has placed in our lives, that God has placed in our hands so that we can use to accomplish the mission and the task that he has called and mandated us to be a part of. The main mission that you and I as people of God have would be to take the gospel to a lost and dying world. Many of us have families and many of us have jobs. And, and while as a husband we have the responsibility to take care of the needs of the home, while as wives we have responsibilities to help take care of the needs of the homes, while as parents we have a responsibility to make sure that the kids grow up to know the Lord and to make sure that everything in the house runs well, our main responsibility on this earth as Christians is to share this, this life-saving gospel with Allah and dying world. So as a, as, a, as a husband, I'm trying to lead my family in the right way. As a wife, you are trying to lead your family in the right way. As Christians, ultimately, we are to shine as lights 
to this earth and salt of this world. We have a responsibility. You guys with me? Our main responsibility as Christians is soul-saving business. Whether it's in the home, whether it's in our families, whether it's in our jobs, whether it's in our schools, whether it's in our communities, we have a task that God has called us to, to be soul savers via preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the rod for us represented all the tools and all the resources that God has placed within the confines of our hands to be used to accomplish the goal and the task and the mission that he has set out for us. This week, I want us to look a little bit at a, a pretty significant moment, an event in the life of David. Uh, as I've considered for a subtopic uh, to our message this morning, the bigger they are, <laughs> the bigger they are, the harder they fall. The bigger they are, the harder they fall. I want to bring your attention into the book of 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 40 is where we, we, we really would find again for, for the purpose of our theme is where we would find some of the, the tools that this young man David would have used. In verse 40, then he took his staff in his hand and chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's bag, in a pouch which he had, and his sling in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. So before we get to our main text, before we, we push on from verse number 40, I just want us to, to recognize some of the background and, and work our way up to verse number 40 and following. And so I need for us to appreciate what's happening in, in this particular text at this particular time, even in the lead up to this particular moment in David's life. At this point in time, Saul is currently the king of Israel. And you would remember for, for those who are Bible scholars or Bible historians, there was a period in, in Israel's history that was considered to be uh, the United Kingdom where under this period of time, the, 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 the nation of Israel had three kings under whom the, the Israelite nation was truly united. Uh, and so Saul was the very first king that, that would have ruled over the nation of Israel. You, you would remember that the people wanted a king and because they didn't have a king or somebody they saw to rule them at the time. And as they looked around at all these other nations, all these other enemies, as they looked around, these nations had kings. So the Israelites wanted a king of their own. And so they pleaded to Samuel, Samuel, we need a king, and Samuel takes this thing to God. God said to Samuel, as Samuel seemingly has a broken heart, God says to Samuel, Samuel, the people haven't rejected you. I've, I've had you there as my mouthpiece. I've, I've had you there to be a guide to them. They have not rejected you. The real person that they have rejected all along is me. And so God said, let it be so. Let them choose their king. The scripture would tell us that Saul was head and shoulders above the rest. In other words, Saul looked the part of what a king in their minds, physically speaking, should look like. 
The man was intimidating. The man looked like a warrior. He was the biggest and the baddest that the Israelites could have produced at the time. And so they said, here, that is the man. Let's make him king. And God says, go ahead. But the truth is, as, as, you, as, you, as you recognize Saul, Saul starts off really well. But somewhere along the line, he, he loses himself and he began to take pride in his victories, not recognizing God as the one to grant the victory, but he started to pat himself on the shoulder and beat his chest and he began to stray from God. And so eventually we get to chapter 15 and in chapter number 15, as we make our way up, Saul disobeys God. God tells Saul, I want you to go and I want you to wipe out these people of uh, Amalek. And I, I don't want you to leave anything behind. Kill their king, kill the woman. I, I, I'll tell you this, I'm going to say this, and I know this is going to ruffle some feathers because some people don't like the Old Testament. The Old Testament is grimy. You guys know what that word means? <laughs> Back home when you say something is grimy, that means, you know, it's rough. It's, it's, it's not easy reading. It, 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 it's, 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 it's gory. It's, it's, one of those, it's one of those things. If you had to put the Old Testament, some of these accounts uh, in, in Hollywood, you and I would be closing our eyes and, and, and vomiting, and we would, we would switch the, the TV off because it's scary stuff. God tells him, go into battle, and I want you to wipe these people out. Man, woman, child, king, dog, cat, sheep, cattle, everything wipe it up. But Saul goes in and Saul, Saul, Saul wipes some of it out. He keeps the king alive and then he decides, well, I'm going to keep the best of the sheep and his excuse is, I'm going to offer this to you, God. I want us to understand and appreciate that when God gives a command, God doesn't need us to interpret the command the way that we want to interpret it. When God says this is what we need to do, we need to find ourselves conforming to the thing that God told us to do. Human beings have this uncanny ability to try and rationalize things and, 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 and try to do things in a way that we want to do things when God has already dictated what he wants. Read into that however you want, but I'm just saying when God gives a command, the command usually is pretty specific. It's not up for sub, uh, what, what they call subjective nature of reasoning. It's not up to us to determine whether this means this or this means that. When God gives a command, usually it's pretty specific. And so all he asks of us is to follow through. But you know what happens next, right? The, the time comes, if you read chapter 15, here comes Samuel. Samuel already knows. Uh, he already knows that, that Saul has done a crazy, a crazy thing in the sight of God. And so here comes Samuel as he, Samuel goes into Saul. And Saul says, listen, blessed be you. And, and God has granted us the victory. And, uh, 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 you know, so the king is alive. And Samuel is probably watching him like, what are you talking about? If, if you would have done what God told you to do, I would be looking at a head right now and not looking at a live body. Had you killed all the animals? Yeah, 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 but oh, okay, so why am I hearing sheep and other animals in the background when God told you to wipe everything out? And so that was the last straw to break the camel's back. It wasn't the first time that Samuel disobeyed God. It wasn't the second time that Samuel disobeyed God, but this was the last straw 
to break the proverbial camel's back. And so in chapter number 15, we recognize that God would say, I have turned my back. My spirit shall no longer be with Saul because he has turned his heart from me. He, he disobeys me too much is, is pretty much what it would translate to be. And so he will no longer be king. He's on the throne right now. But I already know who the next king is going to be. So in chapter 15, God removes Saul ultimately as king. He is still on the throne, but his spirit is no longer with him as Saul disobeys God. In chapter 16, Samuel is sent to, to Jesse's house, and, and as he sent Jesse's house, he anoints there in chapter 16 the new king. You recall in this particular event, and I, I love how this is kind of set up because in chapter number 16 now, here is Samuel and Jesse, and Samuel tells Jesse, listen, I have come to your house. Send your sons before me and walk, let them walk before God, and God is going to choose who the next king is going to be. And so Jesse does this thing where he sends, of course, his sons from the eldest of them to the youngest. Immediately as Eliab, if that's the way you really enunciate it, immediately as Eliab, his eldest boy, comes into the room, Samuel starts to praise God. Surely this is the man because Eliab looked the part of what physically a king should look like. But God would have to say those famous words in, in, in chapter 16 to, 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 to Samuel that, listen, uh, do not look, verse number 7, at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. Uh, the, the man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. In the first instance, you, you made a boo-boo. In the first instance, you made a blunder thinking that the, 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 the person that's fit for the job is the one who looks like the role. Or how the human being could look the part. Anybody ever dated before they got married? Don't raise your hand up. But I'm, I'm just throwing it. Anybody ever dated before you actually got married to the now love of your life? Sometimes you, 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 you engage in relationships with, with an individual you thought was going to be the one because the person walked a particular way and, and, and that was the walk you were looking for. The person talked a particular... They were a smooth talker. The person came to you with roses and, and chocolates. They did all the right things physically speaking, outwardly speaking. This had to be the one until you recognized the heart of the person. Sometimes it's because, the and here's the truth, I told you sometimes it's a bit grimy when you get into context and you get into the text. Sometimes the reason why it is we have difficulties, even when we get into some of these marriages, is because we, we were looking at the outward appearance when firstly we should have been looking at the person's heart. 
Too many Christians today are trying to have the ideal husband or the ideal wife, and we are looking at all the external stuff. Does he have a good job? What kind of family does she come from? Can she dress a particular way? Oh, he smells nice. He looks good. She looks beautiful. All of this external stuff, only to realize that this person was a wolf in sheep's clothing. So here comes you, unsuspecting Christian man or unsuspecting Christian woman. And I'm not going to stand here and say as if to say that every single man or woman that you are dating who claims to be a Christian is actually a faithful one. But I'm trying to help you to understand that before you look at the physical and the outward and all the external stuff, start looking at the heart. Does this person love God? Does this person love worship? Is this person, does this person submit to God in a way that if they are my wife, they will submit to, to me? Does this person love God in a way that if I am, if, 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 if I am her, his, his wife, he's going to love God? Look at the heart before you judge the external. Because I'm going to flip it now. Because when it came to David, David didn't look kingly. David didn't even fight a warrior before. The young man never wielded a sword in battle yet. So he didn't look the part externally. He didn't have the type of experience that, that one would have said a king or a young king should have had at that age. But God said, you, you judge people based on what you see sometimes, but I don't judge people based on what I see. I judge people on the inside. You look at somebody who has their pants hung down by their buttocks and you judge that person. You look at someone who has all these holes in their ears and in their nostrils and in their tongues and in their belly button. You look at that individual and you judge that person based on their outward appearance. You guys with me? You look at that person who has tattoos all over their bodies up underneath their neck and all over their face and you judge them accordingly you don't know what's in that person's heart so he says we do this thing where we judge on the outside but God does this thing where he judges on the inside before you dismiss somebody that's what God is saying through David before you dismiss someone Get to know them. Now, I'm not saying, let me, let me just put this in. I'm going to move on in the text. I'm not saying be foolish. I'm not saying just open your arms to any and everyone. Because the truth is, sometimes the people that look the part play the part. Am I talking to our church this morning? Am I, is everybody here? Yeah? Give me some feedback. Give me some feedback. <laughs> Sometimes the people that look the part actually play that part. 
So I'm not saying be foolish. I'm saying don't judge. I'm not saying be unwise. I'm saying have a heart that's open and willing to get to know somebody before you put them in a corner, in the duncey corner, or in the bad boy or bad girl's corner. So in chapter 16, God takes the occasion to anoint, anoint finally David. So David, for all intents and purposes, though not yet seated on the throne, is the future king. Saul has disobeyed God, and as a result of disobeying God, his heart is no longer what it used to be. His heart has gone from a heart that was full of love to one now that is filled with selfishness, worldliness. And in chapter 17, we'll see it's going to be filled with fear. A person who strays from God ultimately changes in character as well. So we find ourselves in chapter 17. In chapter 17, the army of the Philistines and the army of Israel is at a standoff. David is not technically on the scene yet. Uh, and so you have the army of the Philistines and the army of the Israelites in this standoff, in this face-off. And every single day, the champion of the Philistine army, which is here, Goliath, he will come out and he will issue a challenge to the king and to Israel. Send me someone to fight. None of the soldiers have the courage to step out of their ranks and move down to face Goliath. The one person, who, whoever, however, that was supposed to have the ability to have said, listen, I am the one that is head and shoulders above the rest. I am the one that has been a mighty man of war. I am the one that was considered at one point a mighty man of valor. I am king. You would think the one person that would step out of the ranks and step forward to lead God's people even in battle would have been the king. But even Saul is cowering in the corner with the rest of the Israelites. So finally here in chapter 17, we get a true glimpse into the status that, 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 that currently Saul holds in his fear he has lost favor in the sight of Almighty God. And so we find this situation where the army is afraid. Saul does nothing, but here comes this young, inexperienced boy, David, to the rescue. Here are some things I want us to note about David really quick. In this particular text, everyone doubts David. The soldiers doubt David. They thought he couldn't do it. His brothers thought that his curiosity was going to be the end of him. We've all heard the statement, curiosity kills the cat. He apparently had this type of spirit of curiosity about him, and so his brothers are becoming angry and irate because uh, this is one of those times, David, that your childishness is going to get you in trouble. This is not a game. This is not, this is not like where, where you're playing um, warrior in, in, in the fields when you're taking care of the sheep. This is, not that type of, this is not that type of makeup game. No, no, no. This is real life. And so they think that he can't do anything because he's young and he is inexperienced. Not only do the soldiers doubt David, not only does his brothers doubt David, but even the king says, you are not able 
to handle this giant or this task that is ahead of you? Have you ever been in a situation where people have doubted your ability to do something? You know what happens sometimes when you're in a situation where the people who are around you, the people who hold great esteem in your life doubt you, you begin to doubt yourself. And so if parents doubt the kids, if teachers doubt kids, if the family doubt kids, if friends doubt kids, or, 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 what I'm trying to show us is if, if the people who are supposed to be in our support circle doubt us and they don't have faith in us, then automatically most times what happens is that, is that we lose faith and trust in our own selves. So you grew up with this desire, you grew up with this vision, you grew up with this dream, you grew up with all these ideals, and everyone around you doubts you, you begin to give up on your dreams. But David didn't allow this doubt and despair to deter him or to shut him down. He was determined to prove that the God that he served was a great God. David wasn't just doing this to make a name for himself. He, he wasn't doing this because of the draw of money. He wasn't doing this to prove his father or his brothers. Or he wasn't doing this to prove the king wrong. David was doing this out of a heart of service. He was doing this out of a heart of passion. And ultimately, he was doing this out of a heart of faith. If you're taking notes, take this down. This is the only thing I'm going to ask you to take down out of my notes, if you're taking notes word for word. It does not matter whether people believe in you or not. It does not matter whether people believe in you or not. What matters is you believing in you. Of course, I'm not talking here about trusting in your own power, but I'm talking here, of course, about trusting in the power of God, that, that God that is able always to empower us to accomplish the task and the victory at hand. So watch this. I'm, I'm, I'm winding up really quickly. Come with me into 1 Samuel 17, verses 32 and 33. I have a designated reader for this. We're almost done. I have a designated reader. Come down to verses 31, 32, sorry, and 33. I want you to see this in the build-up before we get to the end of, of this text. I want you to see what's happening in the, prog in the progression of this particular event. In verse 32, go ahead. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. So in verse 32, David is identifying his conviction. He is convicted in his heart. This is after all the, the doubters. This is after all of that. As a matter of fact, Saul would even come in after this and make the statement, you are not able. But David is showing the conviction that I want to go. I have to be the one to stand and fight on behalf of God and behalf of the Israelites. Go on. Verse number 33. Saul replied, you are not able to go out and fight against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. Okay, beautiful. So, 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 so here, is Saul's, here is Saul's reason. You are number one too young. This man is a seasoned warrior. You are not able to stand up and fight this giant. 
But then what happens next, what transpires next is pretty interesting, and I think it's, it's really valuable for all of us as we think about what it means to overcome our obstacles and what it means to fell our giants. Because I need for us to appreciate that, that while the statement that Saul made was true to an extent, David understood that this was a deterrent to his current objective, which was to slay this particular obstacle that was in front of him. Was David young? Yes, he was. Was David a man of war? No, he wasn't. So the statement that Saul made was, was, was Goliath a mighty proven man of war? Yes, he was. So the statement that Saul made wasn't, it wasn't that the statement was untrue. It was a truthful statement, but it, even though it was true, it was a statement that was, was filled with doubt in David's ability to stand in the presence of Goliath and overcome him. So because you are young, David, because you are inexperienced, David, because this is a man of war and a mighty man of valor on the other end, David, you can't do it. But David says, listen, you don't understand. And David goes on in the, in the next few verses to elaborate some of his own experiences. Let me tell you, O king, your servant at one point in time had to encounter a lion. And not only did your servant have to encounter a lion, but your servant also had to encounter a bear. And let me tell you what, what happened when your servant, speaking about himself, when your servant had to encounter this lion and this bear. God empowered me to kill the lion that came for the sheep, and God empowered me to strike the bear down. And I need for you to understand, when you see this, what, 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 what David is actually saying, he says, listen, even when I encountered the bear, he said, I wrestled the bear by the, the beard of his chin, the hair of his chin. I dare not ask anybody with a beard to come and, me do, and, and, and have me do this. But, 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 but picture, and I need for us to understand the imagery, right? The lion is the king of what? That's why we associated that because it's, it's, it's probably one of the most apex predators in the savannah, right? The bear represents, it has always represented, the bear represents strength. So while the lion represents the king of all predators, what, 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 does, what does Peter say? The, the, devil, the devil is like a roaring lion going about seeking whom he may devour. While the lion represents the king of predators, David says, God empowered me to do what? Kill it. So it's by God's strength, I was able to kill the apex predator. You guys with me? I'm, I'm telling you, stick with me. The bear represents strength. You didn't just overcome a bear with your bare hands. You, you had to shoot that thing with multiple arrows. If the arrows would have gone through to begin with because of the fur that was on the body, if it, if it went, perhaps went through the fur, the skin is a little thick. And if the skin, if it made it through the skin, there's a lot of fat. And if, if it gets through the fat, that thing is muscular. So before you could pierce any major, any major organs in this, in this bear's body, you have to make it through all these layers. The point is, the bear represented something even to the ancient world. So if God was able to allow me and empower me to kill the apex predator, if God proved that he was stronger even though I was small, I was able to conquer the symbol of strength, then who is this uncircumcised Philistine? So David says, Here, here's what, you, you might be judging me based on your resume and your recommendation and, and your standards, but, but let me tell you my experience. 
In my experience, as a young, as a young shepherd boy, I had to kill a lion. In my experience, as a young shepherd boy, the same shepherd boy that is in front of you right now, in my experience, I've seen God by my hands empower these hands to take a bear by the chin of his, of his face, pull him down, and strike him dead. I'm trying to help us to recognize that it doesn't matter how small you are, it doesn't matter how weak you think you are, if you put your hands in God's hands, he will empower you to do the impossible. That was a good place to say amen. amen. Some people, oh, you don't, 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 don't force people to say amen. That might be a good place to say amen. God will take us in, in our weakened state and as we submit ourselves to him, he is able to empower us to do great things. You think you stammer with your tongue? God says, give that to me. I'll allow you to do great things. You will become the greatest speaker of all time. Some of the greatest pulpiteers, some of the greatest uh, motivational speakers of our time had problems with their speech growing up. You guys with me? So God says, if you just recognize your limitations is true, but recognize that I, God, am limitless. So follow me on this. So, so, so David says, listen, you, you might have had some experiences, but so have I. In other words, when you, encounter, when you encounter your new challenges, when you encounter your present distresses, don't forget what God brought you through in your past. Because too many times, and, and here's how it works, right? Every single stage in life, we will encounter barriers. We will encounter mountains. We will encounter difficulties. We will encounter giants. Every single stage of life. As a child, an eight-year-old child, you will encounter difficulties. As a teenager, you will encounter difficulties. As a young adult, you will encounter difficulties. God knows as you get older, as soon as you hit 38 going up, you start to encounter some difficulties you never thought you would have encountered in your life. Now you have to, you, you have to take your time coming out of the bed. You can't pop out the bed as you used to when you were 15 years old. You'll hurt yourself. But for every encounter you face God says remember the victories I brought you through too many times as Christians we we get to our new Goliaths and we forget that the same God that brought us through last year we forget that the same God that we were praying to that brought us through a few months ago we forget that the God that kept us safe when we were young and brought us to a ripe old age too many times when we encounter these giants these new Goliaths in our lives we forget that God granted us victory in the past so David says now David says listen I you don't know what I've been through. So you could say that I'm not ready. But I know what I've been through. And I've been through some things that the average person would not have survived but for God. I've gone through some things that I know that I should, have be, I should be out of my mind right now but for God. Anybody here ever had some but for God moments in your life? Anybody here ever been through some things and, and as you look back now, it was only God that, that brought you through. Anybody here have some victories in your past? 
Anybody here have some lions that God allowed you to slay and, and, and some, some bears that God allowed you to wrestle and to slay? Anybody here? So David gets to the point where he says, listen, Saul, I want you to understand. And he's careful in answering the king, right? He is careful because this is the king. He says, oh, my king, <laughs> let me tell you about, about my experiences. And so the same God, that's, 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 that's David's conviction. The same God that was able to bring me through these circumstances in the past is the same God that I'm, I'm leaning on right now to take care of this obstacle. Watch this, watch this. I promise you we were going to be done. Watch this, watch this, watch this. Come down to verse number uh, 40 now, verse number 40. So let's make our way down to verse number 40. Before we get to verse number 40, uh, yeah, let me do this, let me do this. James, verse 38. Verse 38 and come down. Verse 38. Mm-hmm. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. Mm-hmm. David found Start that over. Come on. Do, do it again. Uh-huh. Then Saul dressed in David, David in his own tunic. So Saul takes his armor, watch this, he put, and he places it on David, right? What does David do? Go on. He put a coat of armor on him mm-hmm. and a bronze helmet on his head. Go ahead. David fastened on his, on his sword over the tunic. What does David do? And he tried walking around. He takes the sword now and he fastens it to the tunic. In other words, David at least tries it out. He doesn't disrespect the king. He says, oh, okay, fine, king, I know you have my best interest at heart, and so I'm, I'm going to try it your way. But before I go into battle, I first need to at least try your armor out. But here's the thing. So Saul, Saul is still trying now because he, he still wants, I guess, to believe. And so Saul takes his armor, he places it on David. And, so, and, and David now takes... Saul's, Saul's belt and his sword, and he wraps it around himself, and he fastens it. Let me, let me see how, how this feels. If, if, if you try on a next man's clothes, depending on the fit, you might have to wiggle and shake so it could, it could find its way, right? So David is there, and he, he's trying it out. Okay, Saul, you, let me see how, how this fits. You know. He's... <laughs> No, no joke. Uh, my, my, my clothes, my clothes is getting a bit tight, guys. So, so, so Saul gives him his armor. David, at least, I'm, I'm trying to help you to see wisdom here. He at least tries it out. Let me let me help some some somebody hopefully here. When somebody gives you what seems to be good advice, the wise thing to do is at least first give it a test. It may not mean that it's going to work for you, but how will you know? How will you know? How will you know? Right? So when somebody offers a suggestion to you, just trying to help somebody, before dismissing it wholeheartedly first, try it out. David tried it out, but then he realized this isn't going to work. Number one, I haven't, I haven't tested this, this sword. I, I, I don't know how, how to use this, but, but number two, it's not mine. I, I don't feel comfortable using this. So he tested it out, 
he realized it wasn't for him, and ultimately he takes the armor off. Get verse 40 for us. Then I have took, three minutes, so, so let's do this. Then he took his staff in his hand. Took his staff. Chose five smooth stones. Five three, smooth stones. Put them in the pouch. Put it in the pouch. Of his shepherd's bag. Mm -hmm. And with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. All right, go ahead, go ahead, read. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bare in front of him, mm -hmm. kept coming closer to David. Go ahead. He looked David over and saw that he was a little more than a boy. Yeah. Glowing with health and handsome. Go ahead. And he despised him. Mm -hmm. He said to David, am I a dog? Am I a dog? That you come at me with sticks? Uh-huh. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Go ahead. What did he do? Cursed. He cursed David by his gods. Go ahead. Go ahead. Read. Come here, he said, and I'll give, you your, I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. Mm -hmm. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear. You come against me with sword and spear. And spear. And javelin. And javelin. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. I come against you with what? Hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. I come against you with what? But I thought he took up a rod. I thought he took up five smooth stones. And I thought he took up a sling in his hand. But what does David really recognize his main weapon is? The power of God. And I need for us to appreciate this. We would wield these tools and these resources in a profitable way. But it's, it's better wielded in faith in God. So David says, listen, you come to me with sword and spear and all this kind of stuff. He could have equally said, if he was thinking along the physical lines to receive some kind of glory, he could have said, well, all I'm coming to you with, you with is five stones and a sling. He says, no, 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 no. You come to me with the best that man has to offer, and I will come to you with the best that this universe has in the name and in the power of Almighty God. I want us to understand this. Nothing that we have is greater than the God that empowers us to wield it. And that was the next good place for you to shout amen because nothing that we have is more powerful than the God that gave it to us. Amen. Watch this. Let's all stand. I'm, I told you I'm done. Let's all stand. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. Here is how this story ends. Here is how this story I, I, I don't know if this is going to be a shouting thing for you, but, 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 but you know, go wild with it if you want. I'm excited. I'm excited. It, it just blew my mind. It just blew my mind. Here's how this story ends. You know this. David will go on to make a statement, right, to Goliath. Read quick, quick. This day the Lord will deliver you in my hands. Yeah, go ahead. And I'll strike you down. He says, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. Check this. Two things he says he's going to do. I will strike you down. And cut off your head. And I'll cut off your head. Right? I will say strike you down. And I will cut off your head. Say, cut off your head. Now, say that with feeling. Cut off your head. All right, beautiful, right? I will strike you down, and I'll cut off your head. So David, you, and you know how this ends, right? He's going to run to Goliath eventually, and then he'll take that, uh, a stone, he'll sling it, wham, in the, in, the, in the center of Saul's head, boom, giant fall down, and then he makes his way over, and he cuts the head off. Right? But here's what I want us to notice. Here's what I want us to This blew my mind. This blew my mind. Here's what I want us to notice. The reason why he stoned Goliath, you want to know why David was a man after God's own heart? Because he always had God's word in his heart. David did nothing without, without going to God's word. The reason why he stoned Goliath 
was because that's what the law said you did to blasphemers. Leviticus chapter 24, verse number 16. You find a blasphemer in, in, in the ranks of Israel, everyone in Israel ought to stone him. You find a blasphemer who is outside of Israel, then guess what you do to a blasphemer? You put him to death by stoning. So when he stoned Goliath, there is a reason the youth man could have wielded a sword if he wanted to. He could have wielded a knife if he wanted to. He killed a lion and a bear with his hands. So he could have used a conventional tool if he wanted to, but he took up five stones and a sling. And I want us to understand he is doing so because the law said, how do you deal with a blasphemer? Stone it. You guys with me? So in order for him to maintain the law, he stones him. In order for him to hold on to the promise, he cuts the head off. If you want to be a man or a woman of God, stick to God's word. And if you want to be a man and woman of God, stick to your own. Let me put that on this side. They, they, they didn't get it. If, <laughs> if you want to be a man and woman of God, stick to God's word. He stoned them because that's what the law said to do. You guys got it? But if you also want to be a man and woman of God, stick to your word. You guys didn't get it. If you want to be a man or woman of God, stick to God's word. Amen. Right? Amen. But if you have to be a man or woman of God, stick to your own word. Amen. All right. Let me show you what that means. I love you for richer or for poorer, sickness and in health, till death do us part. I love you, richer and poorer, sickness and in health, till death do us part. Or you part before death comes. He says, if you want to be a man and woman of me, stick to my law, but stick to, come on, say it. Your word. All right, all right. I'm going to be a protector and a provider to the family, as God is my witness. So I need to stick to God's word. I also need to stick to Come on, I'm talking to fathers and mothers now. As a child, I need to be in subjection to my parents and be obedient and be respectful and be a lover of God. I, I need to stick to God's law, but I also need to stick up for... To, come on, I'm talking to kids now. I, I, as Christians, we have devoted ourselves to God no matter what come hell, high water, and COVID. We need to... Stick to God's law. Or we also need to... Let's sing that song, Thomas. <laughs>